Ciao, HyperChange. Welcome to another episode. Today, we're going to start by talking about Biden and the moves at the White House to invite GM and Ford and the U.S. automakers over to talk about this big transition um, and push the U.S. is making to start building um, electric vehicles and how we want to transition a huge portion of new vehicle production by 2030 to electric vehicles. Um, in theory, this was amazing. You know, huge props to see government sort of pushing towards green energy, acknowledging this trend that we all know has been happening. Um, but it also left me super disappointed and kind of like scratching my head because in this whole event, the one thing they don't mention, it seems like they try so hard to avoid is to mention Tesla and Elon Musk, which, you know, if you've been following the history of the automotive industry, especially in the US, Tesla has single-handedly not only brought manufacturing back to the US, created a ton of amazing high paying jobs, created huge amounts of shareholder wealth for individuals, citizens, and all their employees as well. Um, and in fact, de facto paying them much better than any other auto company because they compensate them in stock as well, but single-handedly commercializing the electric vehicle, proving this business model, proving that it could be uh, profitable, proving that consumers actually wanted this product, which before Tesla, no one believed. Nobody wanted electric vehicles. That was the status quo. Ford and GM weren't investing any money into this. And the trajectory of the automotive industry was let's just keep making incrementally better fossil fuel cars that aren't even really that much better without really any technology. There was no innovation. It was just such a stale industry that hadn't really changed for decades and was continuing to pollute and ruin our planet. Disaster. None of these companies should be applauded in any way, in my opinion. Tesla comes along, this little upstart with this crazy guy, Elon Musk, they come up with this business model and they transition, they, they prove that it can work. I mean, the Model 3 ramp, we remember, it was so difficult. Um, Tesla had to go through this grueling process of getting to certain scale and proving that you could actually build an electric car profitably um, and that people would want it and that it would be delivered. I mean, I have my Model Y, it's an incredible product. It drives faster off the line on a stoplight race than a Lambo. It can fit all my friends. I can tr charge it off solar energy. These electric vehicles, um, Tesla really proved the Model, and I think there would be no electric, no electric any cars. Like Ford wouldn't be working on, you know, the Mach E. GM wouldn't be working on the electric Hummer or the Chevy Bolt. None of these cars would have been happening without Tesla. And so to see Biden, you know, invite all these auto companies over, not invite Tesla, and then have this whole event to talk about, you know, the future of electrification, how you know 50% of cars are going to be electric by 2030, yada yada. But but not mention Tesla is just so embarrassing and frustrating. And it just got me thinking more and more about how the systems that we have in this world are so corrupt. And we think about the United States as this democracy, sort of this beacon of the forward-thinking new world where innovation, you know, we love innovation. We want to foster it. It's the place where you go to start these amazing companies like Tesla. And yet, even when you're as far as Tesla, you're so successful, you've changed the whole industry. You've literally single-handedly changed the trajectory of fossil fuel emissions of the whole world by creating this product, the Model 3, and proving that electric vehicles could work. And yet, your government still will not acknowledge that. And I just think that's super sad. And as someone, you know, I don't like to get political, but I didn't not vote for Biden. So I'm kind of like, and I'm now I'm beefing with him because I'm like, bro, this is such a like, it, it just makes me so frustrated. And I think the US, we, we think it's this fair country, but really we have lobbying. And I think that's what it comes down to in the situation. Like these companies, Ford and GM are paying money to politicians. The politicians are gonna support them and the right legislation that favors them to help them out. Um, I like to say that lobbying is essentially institutionalized bribery. To me, the US is extremely corrupt. When you think about this and how you could just blatantly ignore a company like Tesla, who's single-handedly creating all this change and then pretend like the, the GM and Ford are doing it. Like it's just so backwards and just boomer and just like disappointing and like makes me wonder how we're going to get anything done um you know in this era where we need to hyper change so many different industries and make them more sustainable are we really still going off of dollars and politics i mean i guess when you think about it like that it's like of course that's how the system works but i don't know this was a moment and a week for me that i've just been like wow the u.s is even 
like more backwards than I thought. And it's extremely corrupt. And we don't think of the US as having bribes and being super corrupt, but the entire way our political system works is, you know, these companies give monies to politicians, the politicians get into power, they're beholden to those companies, they make the legislation to favor those certain companies, it has nothing to do with who's the best company, who's bringing this technology, what's actually gonna be better for the world or the citizens that elected them. Like there's no connection there. And frankly, the incentives aren't aligned for them to do that. The incentives are aligned for them to get reelected. How are they gonna re get reelected? More money for the next campaign. How are they gonna get more money for the next campaign? If they appease the companies that gave them money in the first campaign and be like, look, I wrote that bill that you wanted me to write. I invited you to the White House to make it look like you were killing it on EVs. So now give me more money for when I run for the election and give my party more resources for the next time. Now we're in bed, we're doing this deal. It's crony capitalism, totally messed up. Um, and it's basically bribery. And so, I don't know, I've just been kind of having a major moment of like disappointment. Um, but on one hand, it's also like, maybe there's a ray of hope here because even despite that system, despite how messed up it is, well, first of all, Tesla's proving that electric vehicles are working. So these companies are actually changing their business model, albeit very stubbornly and slowly um, and putting out these like crazy targets that it's like 2030, like who knows if they're actually gonna make electric cars by 2030, right? It's like 10 years down the road, all these people who are making these deals are gonna be so old, they're either gonna be dead or retired by that time anyway, so they don't, they don't actually care. I mean, it's like, it's actually like a joke, right? Um, but the fact is Tesla still has succeeded. Tesla, because of the free markets, is why I love capitalism, why I love startups, why I love VC, because Tesla, has forward-thinking investors because we have a free market that fund these ideas, because we have consumers who are willing to pay the green premium, who are willing to think about the products they're supporting and you know how that matters in, in changing these different industries. Like that's super inspiring and exciting. That's sort of the flip side of this coin is despite the 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 like the way our government is just can't get anything done and isn't helping these amazing technologies that our citizens need, the private sector is doing it anyway because individuals are supporting those companies. So that is the silver lining that's super inspiring and exciting about all of this, but it is kind of lame. And so that's got me thinking about all this sort of stuff and how Elon can't really say anything about it. He made this tweet that was like, Tesla wasn't included in the meeting, like, or wasn't invited, but he doesn't want to say too much because you don't want to piss these people off. But it's just like, dude, like the Democratic Party, like they're supposed to be the ones championing renewable energy. They're supposed to be, you know, the Green New Deal. Like, have you not done any homework on the science and research behind this and realized that electric vehicles and commercializing battery technology and solar is actually the Green New Deal? So ironic and kind of this crazy catch-22 that it's like, bro, makes me so sad. And so... On, on one hand, I feel like there's so much sentiment of where consumers want to support, you know, renewable energy and, and the Green New Deal and, and, and fight climate change and do it at the government level. But I'm wondering, like, are these politicians so dumb that they don't understand that Tesla's literally fixing this problem? Or are they just that corrupt where Tesla's not paying them? And so they're just going to hate on Elon Musk. I think it's a little bit of both, um, but it's super disappointing. That's why I also made a tweet about Greta Thunberg, who like is, I don't know, I kind of am inspired by Greta Thunberg, like this super young person getting people woke about climate change and politics. But also it's like, she's always hating and it's always kind of like this negative tone of what are we not doing? You know, nobody's doing anything. We should be panicking, this sucks. Instead of highlighting, you know, positive vibes, who are the people actually fixing these problems? How can we support them? How can we accelerate these moments of like, you know, brightness and positivity and progress? Like Tesla, in my opinion, um, I think people like her and AOC and Biden should be getting 100% behind Tesla if they're actually putting you know, their actions behind their words, but they're not. And so that really frustrates me, but that's something I've been thinking a lot about. And it's like, damn, how are we gonna get anything done um, if we can't even realize that Tesla, and it's also like the manufacturing part of this, not just the green energy transitioning us to electric vehicles and saving the planet from climate change. It's like bringing jobs back, super strategic. Like the US to me is falling off in so many different ways. Our education is bammer. Like we're just, our healthcare system, like we're just falling behind in a lot of ways, even though we think we're an advanced country. Um, and yet you have companies like Tesla 
Tesla, which are bringing back extremely high paying jobs, when our own, you know, American companies, GM and Ford, what have they been doing for decades? Outsourcing jobs, the Mach-E built in Mexico. Like that's the EV we want versus the versus Tesla, which bought this abandoned factory by GM and Toyota in San Francisco, like the highest paying district, paying way more taxes than they should have, and is building cars from scratch, rehiring people, invigorating that economy. And like, that's an almost even more powerful thing or just equally as much as the climate change part of it. So it's so interesting to me that like, you know, God, and then and then I saw another tweet about Biden that's like, we've never added more jobs in the history of our economy. And it's like, where are those jobs numbers coming from? The companies that Elon Musk is building that you refuse to acknowledge. So it's like the levels of irony and just kind of patheticness that our government put on display this week, um, to me, reached a new all-time high. And so I don't know how that's going to change, but I'm trying to talk about it because I think a lot of people, and I made this tweet about it that I think was like my most viral tweet ever. And I think it's because people know and they're frustrated and they're like, damn, like I have the dopest electric car ever. Tesla's already selling 100% electric vehicles. They're already transitioning the industry, not in 2030, but today. And yeah, that's let's show love to that, not this GM and Ford bullshit. So that is what it is. But in the long run, you know, those politicians will die and become less irrelevant and will be looked on from the lens of history as being pretty whack. Um, and companies like Tesla will succeed and will make their shareholders super wealthy. And GM and Ford will kind of crumble because they didn't make the early investments in the technology that was needed. And they're only doing it to make a profit now because it's either go electric and compete with Tesla or die. It's not like we have this vision for the future that's better for the planet and our stakeholders and everybody. So that's why we're gonna you know, invest in the long-term, go through these pains to invest in this crazy new technology and commercialize it. Like it's none of that, it's just like, this is what Tesla's doing. We have to copy them because that's the best selling car and they're going to put us out of business with the Cybertruck. So we got to come up with the, up with the electric F-150 and the electric Mach-E and the electric Hummer. So like, let's do that. It's kind of like this marketing BS move. So anyway, it's a very interesting moment in capitalism, but surprising to see how much this old legacy industry is like clinging on to the bureaucracy. And I think it was almost a good thing that it happened because it was just so ridiculous. And to see like Pete Buttigieg go on CNBC and all these politicians like try so hard to not mention Tesla that it's like, it's a, I don't know, it's just kind of comical to see. It's like, damn bro, like you guys know what's happening. Like, I feel like they're not that dumb, but they just like are so beholden to the guap and the money that like, it's just, it's just pathetic. So anyway, that is what it is. And that's got me thinking even more about like, this cryptocurrency thing, you know, speaking of, you know, big powers shaking down these legacy institutions that are screwing us over, like the Fed and the dollar, you know, you think about what Bitcoin is, so decentralized, so unstoppable. Um, I've been thinking a lot about like China stopping and getting away from Bitcoin. You know, the US dollar has been the reserve currency of the world for so long. The petrodollar, oil's traded in dollars. You think about what China is strategically doing, trying to get oil traded in the yuan, trying to make the yuan the reserve currency of the next century. And Bitcoin is a threat to all of that. So when I think about what's so exciting about Bitcoin, but equally sort of like the biggest risk and threat to owning Bitcoin is like, man, we are threatening some incredible powers that be here. And this idea that it's also started by someone that's anonymous, like that to me is another X factor about Bitcoin is Satoshi Nakamoto. Like nobody still knows who this is. And I feel like we're only, you know, 10 or 15, 15 years away from when Bitcoin was created. So we're still kind of early in history's unfolding. Maybe Satoshi's still alive. Satoshi Nakamoto, right? If you don't know, this guy wrote the Bitcoin white paper, this incredibly well thought out sort of breakthrough of computer science and economics and not only just in a theoretical academic perspective, but implementing it. He was one of the first miners who was mining Bitcoin, actually, you know, putting the work in for his own network. That's why 
right? The wallets that were owned by Satoshi people think accrued like a million Bitcoin. So a million out of that 21 million Bitcoin is in wallets that haven't been sold that we think this, you know, person or group of people control. Now that million Bitcoins at 40,000 in Bitcoin is worth 40 something billion dollars. The GDP of a small country rapidly rising. If Bitcoin, you know, goes to a million dollars of Bitcoin, which I think might happen, those million Bitcoins are worth a trillion dollars or whatever. This guy would easily be the richest person in the world. So you think about this world we're getting ready to go into where cryptocurrencies are super powerful. The person that created them is anonymous. Um, it just, the level of, of hyper change that's occurring on so many different levels there is got me really thinking. And now I'm almost like, almost a little more bearish. I mean, I have, I still have a ton of Bitcoin. I haven't sold any, but I'm almost like a little more bearish than I was because seeing this Biden electric vehicles thing, it's like, wow, like our government is still really beholden to these powers that be and these corrupt industries. And, you know, banking is a super big corrupt industry that has a huge amount of lobbying power and just presence in our government. And so any threats to that dominance are gonna be scrutinized very closely. And the biggest bear threat to Bitcoin at this point is legislation, is they're making it so hard to own, taxing it so much or making it illegal. Um, that's, I think, the biggest threat. You know, what backs the U.S. dollar? Is it trust or is it, you know, fear in a military power? Like, is our military, our military backs the U.S. dollar, right? So in many ways, that's, to me, the most powerful part of, of the whole system there. And, you know, Bitcoin doesn't have an army backing it, but it's decentralized, so you can't stop it. So many different things going on there. And I know, I haven't had a chance to look into this, but I know there's a lot of legislation happening in the Ethereum space right now. And that just gets me worried. Like these politicians who A, don't understand cryptocurrency, you know, aren't software native, aren't coders, don't have the incentive to take the time to understand this, have way too much going on to actually think about and understand and create proper legislation for cryptocurrencies are making legislation. So they don't even understand, even if they had the right incentives, I don't even think they would understand crypto enough to make good legislation. Um, but even beyond that, you have all these legacy powers who are worried about, you know, Ethereum, decentralized finance, Bitcoin, um, lobbying and lobbying for politicians. And so could that be a catalyst for them to implement legislation that slows the adoption of those cryptocurrencies? Definitely. I think that's one of the biggest threats to all of them. But then, you know, that's always been, I always say like, that's to me the most exciting thing. Like when you have these dealer lobbies and, and all these, in, um, like the people who are like, you literally can't sell a Tesla in Texas or Connecticut because, you know, the dealer lobby of the automakers is making it illegal for Tesla to set up a store to sell to consumers. Can't believe that. Another example of how lobbying is institutionalized bribery and our legal system is even on a lot of levels can't even function. Like it's a free market, right? Tesla wants to set up a store with their own money to sell a product to consumers that they want to buy and they can't even do it because the, the the powers that be trying to stop them. So yeah, that sucks. But it's also like, to me, when you get so desperate that your last move is to try and force legislation to stop the entity that's disrupting you, that's like, wow, that disruption must be powerful, right? And so, um, I you know, back when Bitcoin was so small, it was, it was like, yeah, I hope we get to the day where the US government considers shutting it down because it's so big, you know, the price will go up 100x. And so now the price has gone up 100x since I've been following Bitcoin. It's like, shit, that actually is the risk. So that's kind of interesting. But um, I don't know. I have, I don't know. Do you, do you know? I'm super curious. People should leave in the comments. What is the prevailing theory of Satoshi Nakamoto? Like, who is this guy? Who are these group of people? I mean, um, is it Elon Musk? I don't know. I think there's a non-zero percent. That's true. Is it aliens? Non-zero percent chance. That's true. Is it the CIA? Non-zero percent. That's true. Like, right? All of these theories, like it could be anything. Like, I think you know, people love watching Netflix and all these sci-fi movies and Black Mirror, but to me, it's like we're living through one of the most fascinating Black Mirror episodes almost in real time. If you take a step back and think about that, the richest person is this anonymous person who started cryptocurrency that, you know, is now being adopted on this global level, 
fighting the most powerful institution we have, that's the US dollar. So it's like, you know, will it come out? Will we see those million Bitcoin move? Who will move them? How will they move? How are they gonna get withdrawn of the fiat system? What are they gonna spend those Bitcoin on? Like, or will they never move? Did they just destroy the private keys of those wallets? Because is that like, would that ruin Bitcoin if it de-anonymizes the founder? Like, ooh. Next thing I wanna discuss is Neuralink. Neuralink just raises 205 million in funding. Of course, we have insane FOMO because Neuralink, you know, merging us with AI, building what comes after the smartphone, with what I'm filming this on, like, I don't know, imagine the kind of, like what content, how would I even film myself with my Neuralink? Maybe I'd still need a camera. That's interesting to think about. But um, Neuralink, first of all, 205 million, that seems like a small funding round. I'm not sure what the valuation was, probably a couple billion, but I mean, Neuralink, I have so much FOMO that I can't invest in Neuralink. I kind of tried to be honest, but it's, you just, you, you got like the amount of, you got to know people, you got to, you know, Neuralink, everyone in the world wants to invest in Neuralink. They're going to be picky as hell as who they pick. And so they're probably picking people that have worked with Elon in the past, that are his homies, that can add value to the company, strategic advisors. So that's who they're raising money from. There was 205 million. And to me, this is another epic example of how innovation in the private sector is dwarfing that of the public sector. So, you know, think about how many problems we have as humans. You know, we're living longer, but how do we tackle all these problems of health? Like what is one of the biggest things we don't understand? The brain, how are we gonna understand more about the brain? Putting these chips in our brains, getting more data about how the brain works, about how your body moves, interacts with the world. Um, to me, that's just as exciting about Neuralink is what it will enable from a technological perspective of I can use a smartphone, I can do this, I can be super smart, I can secure all these diseases. But it's also like, what are we gonna learn about the brain? One of the biggest mysteries of science. Like to me, it's almost more interesting than like going out in the stars is like going inside our heads and solving that mystery, right? And so Neuralink is almost like this Manhattan project of science that the 205 million is nothing. The government spends that in two seconds wasting on some dumb train construction project that nobody's gonna ride, right? And yet Elon Musk and his team with 205 million are gonna advance this field of neuroscience decades ahead of what anyone else is doing because of this private sector innovation and um, in aligning incentives in the correct way. And that's what I love about Neuralink. Um, the way they're structuring it is um, I've never before seen I mean, this does happen in biotech, but you get these people in academia who are making, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand a year, writing papers, doing this, not seeing their ideas implemented, but they have all these smart ideas. They're working in silos at different universities across the world. And Neuralink is able to be like, wait, we're gonna bring you all together. We're gonna pay you a Neuralink stock. We're gonna allow you to make more money than you've ever made. We're gonna allow your ideas to be in products that could be affecting billions of people that could actually be changing diseases and all this other stuff, right? So that is so much more exciting. Not only are you gonna make them you know, combine all these forces, but maybe even make them work harder because they're so excited about the, the potential of what they're doing. And so that was the biggest takeaway when I went to this Neuralink event a couple years ago where they unveiled the company and talked about it. Like the people that were there were just so smart and so academic and the way that Elon brought all of them together to focus on this one goal to me was like just such a powerful piece of the puzzle. So this is what they say in the Neuralink funding round. Neuralink has spent the last four years building the first high channel count brain machine interface intended for therapeutic use in patients. Our first product, the N1 Link, is a 1024 channel device that once implement, implanted is completely invisible and transmits data via wireless connection. The first indication this device is intended for is to help quadriplegics regain their digital freedom by allowing users to interact with their computers or phones in a high bandwidth and naturalistic way. The funds from this round will be used to take Neuralink's first product to market and accelerate the research and development of future products. So 
I mean, that is insane. And they even say Neuralink was founded by Elon Musk to help those with brain injuries in the near term and reduce AI's risk to humanity in the long term. The company's mission is to develop brain machine interfaces that treat various brain-related ailments with the eventual goal of creating a whole brain interface capable of more closely connecting biological and artificial intelligence. I mean, I think this is like the next crazy evolution of humanity, where these monkeys that have been evolving this really archaic sort of way, and now the ability to integrate computers into our brains is like, this is, and, and to have artificial intelligence in your brain at all times, like, what does that even mean? That's honestly another thing I'm, I'm kind of curious that people think of, like, when Elon says we have to merge with the AI for it to not surpass us and we become this new thing, it's like, what does that mean? Like, is it just, you kind of have Google at your fingertips and you can Google things faster essentially? And, you know, I don't know, I almost feel like the human brain, we're gonna reach this limit of like the information that the human brain can intake and process. And then it's like, well, what good is it to have all this information at your fingertips if you can't even process it all at once? Like, oh, I have this book that, I, you know, everyone's like, oh, you could learn a language. So is it like, you have all the words of that language in your brain, but how do you read those all at once? Anyway, I'm so, so curious of what this is like, but this to me is like so exciting and ambitious. Like this is the kind of crazy shit that is just epic, but it's also like, are these, is Elon, you know, he's talking about AI is gonna take over the world and all this crazy shit. Robots are gonna, you know, take over the world. And this is our biggest threat to humanity, right? Is creating this AI um, that's gonna be smarter than us. But then it's like, isn't that what you're kind of creating? Like. Elon Musk and Tesla's AI day, Tesla's the leading AI company in the world or one of them. And at their AI day, we're all scheming. I mean, the video, they might unveil a humanoid robot. And so it's like, bro, Elon, you're gonna unveil this humanoid robot with AI in it. And you're the one who's worried about AI taking over the world. Like it almost seems like he wants to manifest him bringing this AI technology to the masses first so he can make sure that it's gonna be safe enough to work. But in doing that, could he also, could this really weird sort of dark sci-fi scenario occur where Elon's own, he like manifests his own worst nightmare by creating this AI technology. Like that's one thing I kind of worry about. So I don't know, but that's another, to, I, maybe to end the episode, I feel like this is kind of interesting theory, like Neuralink and Tesla, I feel like they're merging so much. Like this idea that, you know, my car, I want it to, our car is just a computer on wheels. It's sort of this AI robot that serves us. And now not only, you know, I want my car to come to me, I'm going to tell it where to drive. I'm going to, and you know, where to go, when to pick me up, who to pick me up, what to do when I'm not using it so it can make money for me. And now Tesla unveils a humanoid robot that can do this other stuff. So, and then I tell that it to do, you know, my Neuralink is the way I communicate with these robots that Tesla's building. So Tesla's almost building the fleet of hardware um, for, with some AI for me to control and communicate with. So you think about like Ex Machina, how are you gonna tell your Ex Machina robot what to do with your Neuralink? So, you know, and, and, it was so funny because now this new biography or, or this new book's coming out about uh, and about Tesla and Elon, and they had the part about how Tim Cook um, basically turned down a meeting with Elon Musk, and it's coming out. I don't know if this is true, but basically, like, Elon was like, "Okay, you can buy Tesla for sixty billion. Tesla was struggling, middle of the Model Three ramp. Apple doing all this epic stuff. Wants to build a car, huge on climate change. You know, the car is the new connected device. That is the next smartphone. That's the next trillion dollar opportunity for Apple to tackle and sort of put their technology into. Right? Well, okay, so that makes so much sense. 
And it was so exciting for them to merge the companies and Elon at the same time was like, we need capital, Apple has billions of dollars that they're doing literally nothing with. It would be perfect to fund Tesla. We can use this to create all this value and accelerate our mission and build all these crazy smartphone on wheels essentially and be Apple's next sort of growth component for their financial story. All made perfect sense. But then one big part of the deal, and this is my, my theory of all of it, why it makes sense of like, oh, Tim Cook didn't even take the meeting with Elon because the now what's coming out, I don't know if this rumor is true, is that Elon was like, I'm about to be CEO of Apple. And then Tim Cook was like, fuck no, or something, some powerful quote like that. And I was like, damn, that's so funny that like Tim Cook's own hubris, um, and he is a great CEO in Apple, but they're not innovating. He's just milking Steve Jobs' innovation and kind of, you know, running this company from a great right financially. But Apple hasn't done anything. They're not coming out with anything new. It's just, there's no excitement there. And I think you really need a bold, ambitious, visionary leader to make these big changes. And so now when you think about how this is all changing, it's like Apple didn't need Tesla, Tesla needed Apple, but in the long run, Tesla won't need Apple and Apple's gonna get left behind because the, te the merging of Tesla and Neuralink, as I'm kind of explaining, will make the smartphone irrelevant. And so, you know, that is the chip that is not in our brains, it's in our hands. But when that chip's in our brains, we won't need it in our hands. And so I think it's so funny that Tim Cook had this hubris of like, fuck Elon, we don't need you. And now Elon is about to eventually 10 years from now, maybe 20 years from now, put Apple out of business and make it look like a joke that Tim Cook, like it's just gonna be so, so insane. And so, and although if you would have bought Tesla, it's not saying he would have bought Neuralink, maybe Apple should buy Neuralink, another moonshot and make Elon CEO, but that's definitely not gonna happen. But I don't know, I just think that's super, super duper interesting. And um, yeah, any comments on that, Jay Vilci? The, the like if Tesla buys, They've never talked, but it is true that Apple tried to buy Tesla, or to, Elon offered, like, tried to get the Yeah, but to just say that Tim Cook said, fuck you, Elon, which... But that's the new quote that came out in the book. But Elon said that that book is fake on Twitter. Okay, so apparently Julian's telling me that the book might be fake, so keep that in mind, but I still think, I've heard from inside sources at Tesla that this happened and the Tesla M&A team and the Apple M&A team talked extensively and had been in talks for years since 2013 and they even tried to buy Tesla then but they thought Tesla was too expensive. So I don't know, there's so many rumors here. I think it, I think it makes sense and I'm pretty sure Elon, Elon has been on the record saying he tried to get a meeting with Tim Cook but Tim Cook said no. So that is true and to me it makes sense that Elon was gonna be CEO and Tim Cook was like, I'm not even gonna take the meeting if Elon's gonna try and bully me into letting him be CEO. But that's just Tim Cook's hubris in my opinion. I don't think that's true either. Elon said on Twitter, I'm not trying to be CEO of anything. I think the true part is the M&A teams from both sides are probably chatting with each other. And something along like, I don't, th I don't think- All right, all right, no, 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 that's, we, we gotta move on. Cause I have the inside scoop and they did. The M and A teams talked, and then Elon asked for the meeting. And no, that's then, what I'm saying. Yeah, the M and A teams. And talked. Elon said, and Elon is on Twitter saying, "I did try and meet with Tim Cook, and he didn't take the meeting." That's all yeah, true. I think that's fair, but the, I think to blame it on Tim Cook, yeah, probably. But also, I think Apple's M and A team was just not visionary. What good acquisitions have they ever made? They've never made. They, Apple has never made a good like transformational acquisition, which would be like 
a big time bet. Like think about it, Microsoft, LinkedIn, like those are big time bets. Apple, what big time bet has Apple made? Yeah. Okay. That's a great point. If you didn't hear that, which what Julian was saying, which is Apple's never made a good transformative acquisition. So it would have been super out of their DNA, which means they, it would like, it was just so uncharacteristic. Like what's their biggest acquisition? Like beats that's gone nowhere. Maybe the AirPods, but I feel like they were doing that already. But like Apple has never made a transformative acquisition to really change their business model, at least in recent history. So they usually make tuck-in acquisitions for technology. So it would have been super out of their DNA to do that, which is another interesting wrinkle in the story. But I don't know, to me where it feels like history's going is my iPhone has only gotten bigger and thicker. The camera's getting a little bit better. Actually, the camera's amazing, which is super dope, which is why I'm filming it on my camera. But, which is actually, now that I'm thinking about it, a dope part of their innovation. Cause it's like, you know, that's what Tesla's working on, vision to perceive the world. And the way that computers see vision uh, or see the world around them is all based on the cameras. And so, I don't know, to have your robot be able to have the best camera and perceive the world and record it with the most amazing quality and the most immersive way is actually a super important piece of the way that humans are developing with AI. It's like, you know, I can't remember everything perfectly, right? I don't remember the HD version of it. And so my phone is able to remember the super HD version of it in like a superhuman way that I never would have been able to. And so I think it's interesting. That's like a, a step back of like, Apple has all these resources and all these ways to innovate, and that's where they're focusing their innovation on is the way to make their camera better and to, to you know to make your memories stronger, right? Because I think that's going to be the biggest use case for Neuralink and for why we're all going to want one is because you could record all your memories, not to post them on IG, not to do this or that, but when for, when you're old to look back on these memories, to look back on your life, or to even just remember these moments. You know what happened there? Who said that? Like how dope was that night? What actually went down? Like. All of that is actually gonna be the biggest use case. And so that's why there's so much focus on the camera. And that's why like lastly, the thing I'll mention is Snapchat. That's why I think Snapchat's so interesting. What have they been saying since day one? They're a camera company. Like if you think about who's the most kind of Steve Jobs-esque people that are alive today, running these companies as owner, operator, founders, taking huge bets, trying to be visionaries, building the future with their own vision, not just kind of following um, the, the, the Wall Street and financial pundits and trying to maximize cash flow. You have Evan Spiegel working on spectacles, which are in between the smartphone and Neuralink. And so, I don't know, I think he's another big thing of like Snapple. That's another big theory of a, a huge transformative a, uh, acquisition that Apple could make that's way out of their DNA that I think would be genius is like buying out Snapchat or merging with Snapchat and having Evan Spiegel you know, sort of become part of the team and be CEO-esque or, you know, chief visionary because apparently Apple's working on their own sort of smart glasses product as well. So, but would like, isn't Apple working on their own brain machine interface too? Like, wouldn't that make a lot of sense? Like if Neuralink is going to disrupt you and you're already building smart glasses because you're already thinking about what's coming next after the iPhone, like how does Apple not have a brain machine interface team? How are they not building Neuralink essentially, right? Um, I don't know. I think that's got to be happening somewhere in their Cupertino campus or it's kind of like, you know, what are you spending all these billions of dollars on? That's a couple good ideas right there. So, all right. Anyway, I'm wrapping it up. Hyper change with the epic scheme. Um, let me know what y'all think in the comments below. See y'all next time. Peace.